This is Carl the Jackal Trampin. Hi, this is David Healy. Hello, this is Stephen Ferris. Hi, I'm Bethany Ferris. Hi, this is Joey Barton. I'm Jonas Gutierrez. Hi, this is Harry Kewell. And, and you're, you're listening, listening to The Score. score. The Score with Michael Clark. And welcome along to The Score here on Lisburn's 98FM and Bangor FM with me, Michael Clark, coming up on this week's programme. Journalist Keith Bailey gives us his thoughts on the European Super League. May it rest in pieces. What a fiasco that was. How did it happen and how did it fall apart? FIFA has a new vice president. That's David Martin of the Irish Football Association. We'll be talking to Keith about that as well. Coming up also on the programme, Portadown manager Matthew Tipton joins us to talk about his team's recent run of form. They've won three of their last four. And Colin Hopkins is back with his Danske Bank Premiership predictions. It's all coming up right here on The Score. The Score with Michael Clark. Yes, welcome back to The Score. Great to have you on board as always another week and plenty to talk about. In a little while we'll be talking to Portadown manager Matthew Tipton and we'll be hearing from Colin Hopkins too as he gives us his latest Danske Bank Premiership predictions. But before that, the European Super League. It's caused quite a stir. I'm sure you have your own thoughts on it too. And to help us break down what has happened in the most tumultuous few days in football, is uh, Keith Bailey. Great to have him back on the programme, of course, sports editor of the County Down Spectator and the Newton Arts Chronicle. Keith, how are you? I'm very good, Michael. Good to, good to speak to you. It's been um, certainly been an interesting uh, few days for for football across the world. I'm sure that uh, I'm sure many of your listeners had a have strong opinions of their own on the uh, on the Super League. It was uh, it was quite something. It really was. And, you know, this is an Irish League programme in essence. So people might be thinking, well, why do we care about the Super League? But the ramifications of what this could do to football, should it ever happen, are so huge and so far reaching that there's probably, you know, things in this for all of us to learn and, and maybe for our friends in the Irish Football Association and the Northern Ireland Football League to ponder about too in terms of should they ever envisage any changes to the local game? How not to carry out that sort of exercise? Because. 12 of the so-called biggest clubs in the world, because I would certainly debate a few of them being at the table <laughs> at all, uh, ha- have managed to completely make a mess of this. I mean, I think fundamentally, if you if you don't want to take it too seriously, and sometimes it's, it's uh, good not to take our football too seriously, the whole thing was hilarious. I mean, <laughs> the way that collapsed on uh, on Tuesday night was nothing short of... Uh, of of hilarious. I mean, I found it quite entertaining. You had the situation where you had everybody was going crazy on social media. All the, the media was going mad. Then you had the Chelsea fans outside the outside the team bus and Peter Cech remonstrating. And then one after one, each club on Tuesday night just dropping out. Um, the whole thing, the whole thing, kind of brought a smile to my face. Um, but it, it's a very serious issue. It it had the the possibility to do serious and long-lasting damage to, to global football. Um, it, it demonstrates uh, just how greedy those 12 big clubs are and, and their sense of entitlement in the fact that they believe believe that they shouldn't have to qualify for the Champions League. Um, I mean, that, that sort of speaks, speaks deep to, to how those clubs operate and how those clubs think that they they should be respected and that they should be above reproach and that they shouldn't be punished for failure on the pitch, um, and that's nonsense. That's not how football works. It's it's a game that, while far from perfect and uh, far from completely fair, um, it, it still remains a sport where even though it's very difficult and the odds are against you. A club can come up through the divisions, and a club can through come through the preliminary rounds of the Champions League and end up in the group stages along with the big boys. And if you take that away, then there's no doubt that the sport would lose something um, that's very special and probably sets it apart 
from your NBAs and your and your NFLs. Um, I think it's something that football has to treasure and has to look after, and, and arguably hasn't done a great job of looking after over the last thirty years. But I think it's it's incredibly important for for global football um, that this was defeated, and, and how brilliant it was! It was defeated in such a in such a manner that the twelve clubs have been humiliated and humbled, and I think it's going to be very very difficult for them to mount um, any sort of similar proposal in the next few years I've no doubt it will come back again at some point down the line but I think it's going to take personnel change it's going to take um, relationships to be rebuilt and I think those clubs have been embarrassed and humbled and uh, it's going to take a long time for them to to come back from it um, you know you you asked there about you know, almost a local angle like how would have, how would this affect the Irish league and I suppose most people would maybe look at and go well listen there would be it's not really anything to do with Northern Irish football. There would be no ramifications. So I, I don't think that's quite true. Obviously, European football is incredibly important to to the survival of the Irish league and, and the money that's coming into the game at the moment. We can see the changes that UEFA money has, has made at clubs like Cliftonville and Crusaders. Um, if the if twelve of the biggest clubs were to ever to leave UEFA competitions, then naturally. Champions League revenue would would drop drastically, and that would mean there would be less money, less solidarity money, less money would be passed down the chain, um, and Irish league clubs would suffer in that manner. Um, so there there's definitely ramifications there for all of football, including in Northern Ireland, if if these proposals had gone ahead and and the Champions League and the Europa League were either degraded or or fell apart. So. Yeah, it is good news for for Irish league football that that this didn't go ahead because there were definitely ramifications. I mean, we know how reliant Irish league clubs have become on European money and how important it is for the top the top clubs to to land one of those four spaces each year. So yeah, it's definitely a good thing for the Limfields and the Glenthorns and the the Cliftonbills of this world. Do you think the Dirty Dozen, as they've been dubbed, were serious about this? Do did they really believe this was going to happen, or was it a power play in response to what UEFA have been doing with their reforms? But some people have wondered, you know, they didn't look like they spent much time developing their brand image. You know, that that graphic that they came out with looked fairly, you know, it looked like they got it off Fiverr. No disrespect to anybody. Maybe someone spent a lot of money on it, but to, to my eye, it didn't look like they had. Was this more about putting the feelers out there and trying to scare people into saying we're capable of this or were they really going for it? Well, they were really going for it. I have absolutely no doubt they were really going for it. I mean, listen, a popular opinion on Sunday night was that this was really just a power play and what they really wanted was more um, more from UEFA in terms of perhaps allowing a fifth and a sixth team from each top country into the Champions League or, or guaranteeing... Um, more play, you know, some sort of legacy places for for the biggest clubs. Um, so they would be in it every year. Um, I don't really think that stands up to a lot of scrutiny. The uh, ECA, which those twelve clubs were a member of at, at the time, had already agreed with the UEFA for the new thirty-six Champions League plan, which is going ahead, which is using the, the rather bizarre uh, Swiss format, which would mean that. Every Champions League team would play 10 games, not in any sort of group. Um, and then it would just be a case of the top 16 from that 36 going into the knockout stages. Um, so that had already been agreed. I mean, if they were really, if it was really just a power play, I don't think the clubs wouldn't have agreed to that. I mean, you heard um, UEFA talking about how the likes of uh, likes of Edward Ward of Manchester United had agreed in principle um, to the 36 team proposal. For the Champions League um, during the week, and then went back on on the weekend. So I, no, I don't think it was a problem. I genuinely think they thought that people would accept it. There would be some backlash, there would be some anger, but ultimately they'd be big, big enough and bad enough to ride it out. I think they underestimated um, just how much backlash it would be, but possibly more importantly, they overestimated. Um, the corporate support that they would get, I think they, you know, the, the talk of the money that they thought they would earn seemed so ludicrously high. I mean, where was that coming from? TV money is great, but, you know, was, was it really going to be what they thought it was going to be? Um, 
and skeptical. So I, I think it, it just was, it was ill-conceived. Um, it was driven by greed and it was shallow, but it was very real. They really wanted to do it. Um, I don't think there's any doubt about that. It's gone spectacularly wrong for them. You know, some clubs have, have lost sponsorship already over it. JP Morgan, who were the backers of it, have uh, been hit by uh, the good people at the Standard Ethics because they've they've downgraded JP Morgan from adequate to non-compliant in light of their Super League backing. So it seems that they got a lot of things wrong, and there was you know potentially legal challenges. And I know uh, Florentino Perez, Real Madrid, was saying you know they're, they're still in it. This is still legally binding, but equally, you know, the Premier League are looking at their rule was at L9 saying, well, actually, you can't play in this competition. You've no right to go and break away and play in this competition. It seemed very messy. And then when you had Premier League managers and players coming out speaking against it and, you know, quickly unifying uh, and, you know, completely against the club's owners, this is the most spectacular misreading of things potentially ever. Yeah, they, they massively overplayed their hand. I mean, I think they overestimated their power and you know i think when you're doing something like that you need to bring everybody within your organization with you um and the clubs they failed to bring their managers with them they failed to bring their players with them they didn't adequately explain it to them um most players were were caught in the hop by it you know only gunnar solskjaer i think the first he learned of it was when he was was interviewed um after manchester united's win on sunday i mean that's not gonna enamor uh, an armor or something like Solskjaer of the concept of it. Um, you know, they didn't really do their background work. It, it was rushed through, and you know, they, they've paid a really high price for it. And that price is is huge corporate embarrassment. You know, you, you've had Edward Woodward's already resigned. We've had John Henry given an apology. Uh, Joe Glazer given an apology. You know, real groveling stuff from some of those guys, and and it's I think it's really dented a lot of these. A lot of these kind of high-flying football men's reputations, and we've not heard the last of it. I think more there will be clear-outs at the boardrooms at those uh, at those twelve clubs, and and owners may go, but I think more likely the kind of corporate level, um, the chief executives and the the vice chairman in the case of Edward will will lose their jobs, and and you know I don't think anybody will have any sympathy for them. The one thing here is there's a narrative that's been created as if football has been saved. It's been won back for the ordinary man on the street, as it were. But there, there's definitely something to be said that look, football has become increasingly corporate, and not just in the last couple of years. It is so expensive to try and watch a football team. If you're talking about a Premier League side in particular, the various subscriptions you need to have, and, you know, this has been a bone of contention for many years. Try to go to a game and forget about worrying about flights or anything like that. Normal times, just your ticket price has gone up and up and up. Football has a long way to go to truly be back for the everyday person, doesn't it? Yeah, well, listen, there was the stench of hypocrisy was uh, was certainly there in certain corners. Um, on Sunday, Monday, and Tuesday. I mean, one of the organisations that were the first to complain about it, understandably, I guess, is the Premier League. But if you take it back to 1992, the Premier League was founded. They broke away from the Football League, and the reason they did that was because they wanted more television, a greater share of the television money for the top clubs. Now, obviously, it's slightly different because they motion relegation, which wouldn't have been involved in the Super League, but the premise is still there. It was cut from the same kind of ideological cloth of making sure that the top clubs got more money. Um, you can have a debate all day about whether the Premier League's influence was a good thing or a bad thing. It's been good in some ways. We've got better stadiums, we've got better football, players are better play, paid, so that's all good. bad side of it is that tickets are more expensive and um, you know, it's it's on a... It's, you know, games are generally paid behind a, a paywall in terms of television. So there, there's positive and negative, sir. But let's not get away from the, the sheer hypocrisy of the Premier League complaining about a league breaking away from another league. You know, it, it's kind of ludicrous. Um, you know, you look at UEFA as well, and this is UEFA who, who obviously the Champions League, previously the European Champions Cup was an all-champions competition. They created the Champions League 
by introducing the group stage. Why did they introduce that group stage in 92? Well, it was to make sure that the top clubs played more games against each other and that they generated more television cash. The exact same principles that the ESL outlined. On top of that, they then started introducing second place teams from the top leagues and third place teams and fourth place teams. You know, it's a myriad of preliminary rounds for the Irish League or the League of Ireland champions to qualify for the, the group stages of the Champions League. It's almost, it's not quite impossible, but it's not far off it. So again, there's sheer hypocrisy coming from UEFA, who, who more or less did the same thing in the 90s. Um, again, there is a slight difference there because in theory, it is still possible for small clubs to qualify for the Champions League, which isn't true for the ESL, but like if you think the Champions League is a, a meritocracy, then I mean you've just not been paying attention. Um, on top of that, you've had what the uh, the British governments became involved, and you know, they were obviously very much against the prospect of uh, of this league taking place. Um, you know, but how is this? How have we got to this point? Well, we've got to this point because. Clubs have been bought by foreign owners. You know, Manchester City are owned by the Abu Dhabi Royal Family. Chelsea are owned by a, a Russian oligarch. Manchester United, Liverpool, and Arsenal are owned by Americans. Um, you know, where were the government when those when those takeovers were were taking place? Now, you know, there's talk about maybe introducing the 50 plus one system of ownership they have in Germany. Well, we should have been having that conversation 20 years ago if you wanted to to curtail the rampant greed that exists in in football. In Premier League football at the moment, um, Sky, you've got Sky Sports who dedicated hours and hours um, of coverage to to you know criticising the European Super League. And, and don't get me wrong, I agreed with with pretty much every word Gary Neville said um, on Monday Night Football and on on Super Sunday. But there's, I mean, massive hypocrisy there as well. You know, Sky are the organisation that fueled the Premier League, that put football, English domestic football, behind the paywall and made it incredibly expensive to watch. Um, and in turn made these clubs incredibly wealthy. They're the reason these big six are as wealthy as they are, partly. Um, and, you know, that greed has kind of got out of control. There's a lot of government, there's a lot of issues there. You've got the government, you've got Sky Sports, you've got the Premier League, you've got UEFA. You're complaining about this league, but they created this monster. And they were very nearly eaten by the monster they created. Um, thankfully for them, I think thankfully for football fans all over the world, it, it, it looks like it isn't going to happen. But um, let's not think that those organisations are entirely innocent um that they've had their part in uh in creating this situation yeah uh, it's it's messy to say the least uh, just bringing the news a little closer to home i guess but still involving fifa we have a new fifa vice president and he is david martin of course the irish fa president yeah of course um david is somebody that i think you and i both know reasonably well he is unpopular in certain corners. He's incredibly popular in other corners. He's always had his backing from from the smaller clubs in this country, um, and that's taken him through and, and got him to this point. Um, listen, I don't think it's a major concern for football in Northern Ireland. Maybe some of us have doubts about David Martin's capability, but you know, he it's not going to do Northern Ireland any harm to have a FIFA vice president. Um, we've had them in the past with Harry Cavan and, and uh, Jimmy Boyce. You know, I I don't think that uh, David will do any damage to Northern Ireland football, should I say, by holding that role. You know, some will look at it and say, how can somebody who failed competency tests um, to rejoin the IFA before those competency tests were, were made non-important um, get to this point uh, and become a FIFA vice president? Uh, it's a very good question, but you know FIFA is uh, FIFA has a long history of uh, appointing people with interesting backgrounds to important roles. I don't think that's changed despite the the FBI investigation in 2015. But listen, David isn't cut from that sort of cloth. Um, he's a guy who maybe isn't the most the best spoken, but he'll get into that role. He'll work hard and he'll work with people. I don't think it's going to have any negative consequences for anybody in Northern Ireland. I think it's just a, a nice rule for, for David Martin to have. 
very nice role. I think it's about £190,000 per annum. Um, he got right. in, I have to say, with 48 of the 55 votes in the election, so very popular in the voting process. And uh, no doubt they'll be looking at a, a CV where he got the Irish Cup final played during the midst of a pandemic and has successfully staged UEFA competitions in Northern Ireland. They'll be looking forward to the Super Cup, maybe mightily relieved that it doesn't look like they'll have to throw the big boys out of the European competitions because, um, with the greatest of respect, they want to make sure that the biggest names are in Belfast for the Super Cup final, don't they? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I think that the IFA would love nothing more for it to be, you know, Manchester United against against Real Madrid or you know a, a game of of that caliber. Um, and I think it will probably likely happen. I mean, I think you would think one of Manchester United, Roma, or Arsenal will will win the the Europa League, and you can be guaranteed whoever wins the Champions League is going to be a massive club. So you're you're going to get a a very special fixture played in Belfast now. Listen, the Super Cup's a glorified friendly. I wouldn't get massively excited about it, but I think it's good for the IFA to hold such an event. I think it's good to have it in Belfast. It's a little bit of a shame. It's unlikely that we'll get a full crowd for it. Maybe that's maybe we will. Maybe things will have improved by then, but we'll just have to wait and see. Um, but I think they will get two two good teams. Um, uh, it will be a nice occasion for Belfast, and uh, I, I think I think it's a good thing. I think it's a positive thing. I think the IFA have done well and in securing this game. Um, I think it's something to look forward to. Yes, I'm sure plenty of the Super Cup's critics in the past will be clambering for tickets, uh, such as the the wonderful nature of life. But uh, there we are. We'll leave it there for now. Keith Bailey, thanks for coming on to The Score. No worries. Thank you, Michael. The Score with Michael Clark. Now we move on to our next guest on the programme, and it's fantastic to welcome him back onto The Score. He is the manager of Portadown Football Club, Matthew Tipton. How are you? I'm all good, Michael. How are you? I'm doing very well, thank you. I imagine you're in great form at the minute. Three wins from your last four games. That's that's top half of the table form stuff there. <laughs> <laughs> well, I get too carried away, but yeah, we're, we're pleased. You know, I think um, we had a period of games where we were maybe drawing or getting beat by the odd goal against you know, the top six teams. And, uh, you know, it can, it can send you a little bit disappointed, but... We knew if we carried on performing that way, um, results would come. Certainly, you know, for playing uh, teams around us um, in the bottom half. And then, yeah, uh, we've been playing on Tuesday night. It was really pleasing because it was our last opportunity to beat a team from the top six this season. And, and thankfully, we did it at the final attempt. Was that part of the motivation? Obviously, you never set your team out there with, you know, an idea of not wanting to win. But considering you hadn't beaten the team in the top half in this campaign, was that... I guess part of the inspiration for those players to go and make sure they do it at least once. I don't know if inspiration, you know, because obviously, like I said, we, we do try and win every game. Um, it, it wasn't something that we referenced, but you know, it's a monkey off our backs, I suppose, going into next season. Um, you know, because it would always be that doubt when if we start another season, now oh, we haven't done it. Um, I did reference it prior to the game on. Tuesday night, you know, this is the last opportunity, but that wouldn't have made any difference to the players because they go out to win, you know, regardless of who they're playing, you know, they go out to give their best. So um, it was just good, I suppose, for start sessions and, and like I said, uh, to get the monkey off our back going into the next season. After this weekend's game, you're the other side of the split and then you're playing teams from your own half of the table. Is this a chance really for Portadown to finish strong? And, and if so, have you set a target for your team of, of what you want to see from them between now and the end of the campaign? No, just as many wins. The same tag as we set when we when we kicked off right at the beginning of the season. To get as many wins as possible and then see where that you know, where that takes us. Obviously now no. That'll be ninth is the best we can finish up. That's the target now. And ninth is the place you occupy. You you play the team joint on points with you, but a place below you, Warren Point, this weekend, away from home. And obviously, you'll have to play them again soon as well. Uh, how how big are those games in terms of if you're going to secure that position? Well, it'll be uh, really important because we'll play them now and then. Um, we'll play them the first game after the split if they keep the same format that's been in place forever. <laughs> um, so there's no reason why I would expect it to change now in the next week. Um, so we'll play them Saturday and then we'll play them the following Saturday. So it's, you know, it's really important because two wins, you know, it'll pull us away from them. Um, but they'll be sitting in the same because they're, they're obviously coming off 
you know, tougher on themselves. I think it's 12 games without a win for them. Um, they'll be looking right with to play, you know, part down twice here, you know, a couple of wins and, and give them a bridge going into next season and, and the rest of the split. Uh, and that's what everybody will be focusing on now, I suppose. It'll be like a mini league to gain confidence for next season. But, you know, we know what we're targeting um, internally and, and we'll just make sure that we perform the best we can. In terms of retaining some of your best players, obviously uh, we were all recently seen two five-year contracts be handed out to two of your top names. Uh, unfortunately, Luke Wilson's now injured, but Lee Bonus uh, continues to reward you with uh, all the goals he's scoring, including the winner against Larne. Um, is that a testament to, I guess, the healthy position Portadown are in, where they can now retain the services of their better players for longer? Yeah, um, it's something that attracted me to the club three years ago when I left Warren Point because I always felt with Portadown it's a club that can be built sustainable. You know, we can we can hand out contracts like that. Players know and understand that, you know, given time we can be back amongst the big boys in the league. Um probably take a little bit longer than what we thought because of you know, the influx of money and the teams, the improvements that they've made in terms of going through rounds in Europe, you know, that are that are a bit ahead of where I suppose where we left them four years ago when we relegated out of the league, but it still shows the club still have the same ambition that matches mine to keep our best players, build a structure in place that can actually grow, you know, instead of um, being, a, being a team or a club that, that just look one year in advance, you know, or look short-term and, and bring players in on, on short-term deals and, and have a big turnover. We don't really want to do that. We want, to, we want the club to grow. We want the players to grow with us. And thankfully, at the minute, that's happening. In terms of some of the short-term arrangements, you have had some very good players come in this season on loan. You look at Ben Guy from Aston Villa, your goalkeeper, Jake Carney, who's rightly getting a lot of praise for the performances he's putting in for such a young player. He's only just turned 20. Matthew, it's it's terrifying to see someone so young doing so well, really, isn't it? On loan from Manchester United. Um, I'll ask you the question I was going to ask you in a minute, but just, just on Jake, uh, because he's getting those plaudits and Ben too, how far in the game can they go? Um, as far as they want, I suppose. When you're playing football at a Premier League level in terms of the English Premier League and you've been brought through their system, it's how much you want to push on and where you're going to go. Um, spoke after the game um, on Tuesday night. I can't even remember if it was to our TV guys or the BBC or just the written press. But I drew the comparison uh, with Jake, with Casper Schmeichel, who came on loan when I was a player at Berry. Um, all them years ago, um, and they very—he reminded me the day he walked in, very much you no know, baby face, but actually massive in stature. He looks a lot smaller than what he actually is because I suppose he's got his boyish uh, looks. And and Casper was the same, but yeah, on the field, you know, really big, um, kicking. And it wouldn't surprise me if he went on and had that same type of career as what Casper's had. And I think there's no higher praise than that, if I'm honest. Yeah, that that's absolutely massive and. Certainly, any of the games I've seen him in, uh, he, he's more than acquitted himself well to, uh, to to earn every bit of attention that he is getting and undoubtedly, you know, will get as well uh, potentially from other clubs too. Um, yeah, well it's, you know, because you have to think he's a goalkeeper at twenty playing in men's football. It rarely happens. Um, you know, goalkeepers maybe they, they develop a little bit later and it takes them a little bit longer to get to a level and. So he's probably looking maybe 25 before he's going to break into a first team at Premier League level in England. That's, you know, that's the nature of the beast. That's how it works over there. So he's still a good bit to go. But this year with us, or this six months with us, will be massive for his development. Because he's playing senior football. And when clubs phone me about players, that's what they're interested in. Has he played many games against adults? Um, And he has so far. So, you know, long may it continue for him. And that's, I guess, something that maybe people don't realise as well, that that dialogue that goes on behind the scenes and certainly how actively clubs um, in, in different parts of the UK, not just England, are looking at Northern Ireland and, and looking at the Irish League and the young players and the game time that they're getting. It's massive now. I think they're realising, you know, kids are playing under-23s football, under-18s football. It doesn't actually mean anything. Um, and, and they're maybe not getting out to play enough game time because at League 1, League 2 level, managers, you know, the turnover of managers is massive, so they're probably not willing to, to risk somebody at 18, 19, 20 
you know, untested. Um, and they're not throwing them in where we're playing boys here from the age of 16. We've brought a couple in on loan ourselves, I'm talking about now. So they know, right, they're going there, they're playing senior football, they're getting experience, it's a decent level. Don't forget now as well with the BBC deal and Sky deal, there's been a lot of publicity for the league and players are getting, you know, they get noticed when they're playing live on the television or streams or whatever. Um, so it's, you know, it's massive and, and clubs are looking at us, you know, we're maybe an untapped market or over the years, but I think it's getting more and more. I see Shane Lavery was linked with the Scottish clubs yesterday and it can only be good for the league the more that these players are there because we might keep the younger players here for longer. Um, they may not be in such a hurry to get over to England at 16. And the other side of that is um, you might be able to get a few more of those young stars over here on loan for Portadown now that there's a bit more of an acknowledgement of what you can do for those players in their career when you know, you're giving them senior competitive football as opposed to, to playing in the 23s or whatever. Yeah, and that's look, it's not something that we'll be doing. You know, We're not going to fill the team full of these young um, players on loan, but you know, one or two sprinkling here and there I think is massive. Um, it's good acknowledgement for the club that you know they see the club and myself, I suppose, is the you know the the good, good environment for them to come in and play. And yeah, if if we can keep being recognised by the Manchester United and Aston Villas this world, then we'll be more than happy. I'm sure your supporters will too. Speaking of your supporters, we spoke about this last Saturday at Shamrock Park after the the, the Cliftonville game, and it was something you were saying then, and, and I know it's something. Uh, that you've been talking about since, and that is the return of bands. Has there been yeah. any engagement from the Northern Ireland Football League at all? Any indication as to what's going on behind the scenes to to put the the wheels in motion? I guess. No, that was just you know that was just purely my opinion. Um, I'm sure that they are lobbying for fans to come in, um, but at the end of the day, I, I don't know. I'm not privy to them conversations between the executive and the and obviously the IFA and Niffle. Um, I just think it would be brilliant for people to get out. That it, it's something to look forward to. Um, pubs and outdoor restaurants and cafes or everything else is going to open next week. And I think now we've had a year of this. Um, people actually, well, if they don't know how to behave now, we're never going to, we don't need to worry about them. You know, if they can't put a mask on if needed or sit two metres apart or whatever else all the rules are, well, we're going to struggle, aren't we? But it's, I certainly think it would be, I think it'd be a big boost for a massive part of society if they could see that, you know, they were allowed in. You know, in England, they're doing 10,000 in each stadium, aren't they, for the mm-hmm. last round of fixtures. So everybody that for their last home game this season is going to get 10,000 fans in. Yeah, it's the last, isn't it? The last two rounds because they're factoring in one, one yes. home game for everybody. Yeah, so everybody's getting a home game. So, yeah, for their last home game, they're going to get 10,000 fans in, which is super. And 10,000 is quite a lot of people. Um, you know, I don't think we're asking for ten thousand. Well, I'd love us to get ten thousand, but obviously we can only hold about three thousand at Shamrock. <laughs> so let's be realistic, you know, and and see what we can get in. That's safe. We've done all of the tests and measures. Surely we had them in earlier on in the year, earlier on in the season when cases were a lot higher than what they are now. If it's done properly, I don't see a problem with it. Um, but that's for, that was you know way above my level to decide. Uh, I just think it would be good for for society and also good for the players and um, staff to see people back at the ground you know, to give us that little boost to finish the season off. Yeah, it's been a long time for supporters since November, you know, months without being able to go into a ground and, and have that match day experience and maybe something that gets forgotten about in the conversation is, you know, 10,000 people going to a game in London, they're probably relying on the public transport to get to those games yeah. because of the way the city is compared yes. to if you're a Porter Down fan, you're probably going to be able to drive to the game or get yourself close oh. enough to walk to the game. So it's not the same congestion no, on the public it, transport. I remember the, initially they did say it was about the transport, you know, mm-hmm. who's travelling. Let me tell you something, you don't travel in Northern Ireland. Right? If you're going from Coleraine to one point, which won't happen because the split anyway, the furthest that Coleraine will be travelling is to Belfast, which is an hour away. Yep. That's not travelling. You know... And now they're in travelling, and like you say, you'll be in your own car. Jeff, they said, look, you can go, and that's if away fans allowed in. We're, I suppose everybody would be just asking for home fans anyway. So home fans, like you say, predominantly will live in the town or the city that they, the club they support. So they'll go in their own car or walk to the stadium. You can't see how that's not safe. But 
if they can come up with a you know a, a reasonable excuse to why it's not safe, then I think everybody accepts it. And if they just say, look, you know what, we've only six games left, we've done brilliantly to get to now. Why don't we just get it all in place and play and be ready for next season? We can open the doors fully. Well, I think then everybody will accept that as well um, because they've gone without going. So I don't see a big. I would just love it myself personally, and I'm sure um, plenty of other managers, players would would embrace them coming in for the last few games. Yeah, um, certainly any manager I've spoken to has said they would love to get the fans back as, as soon as it's safe to do so. And, you know, I know Tiernan Lynch has come out and said it could be done properly now. If you look at all the, the checks in place, there's not a ground yeah. that there's not a ground that I've gone to, and, and you know exactly the same as me and probably everyone uh, that, that's been able to go to a ground has had the same experience where you go, there's someone that checks your temperature, someone that makes sure you're wearing your mask, etc., etc. All these measures have been in place for so long now. That um, you know, it'll come as no surprise to any of the clubs that they're more than capable of organising it. So it's just whether they're going to be trusted to to do it or not, I guess. Well, yeah, that that's exactly it, isn't it? Look, what we don't want is an upturn or anything like that. We don't want people getting ill, but we're in a situation where we know what we have to do now to stay safe, or pretty much. Well, if you don't know, like I said earlier on in the conversation, if you don't know now, you're never going to know because mm. we've been in this situation for a year. You know, we're outside, so the risks are minimal. Um, and if they have to wear a mask to stay outside, which I, you know you don't have to in general day to day life, but if that's the case and you, and you have to wear it to watch the game of football, then I'm sure people will do it. The other thing they're talking about, or there has been talk about the Premiership season starting a little later for the next campaign yeah. because it's running later. Um, what do you think about that? Is that sensible? I'll be honest, it was me that was pushing for that. Um, we had a manager's meeting the other week and I brought up that issue because it felt kicked off at the normal time. And I get there's going to be clubs that are playing in Europe that aren't going to get any time off, but then they wouldn't get any time off anyway. You know, where I felt if we went back and we were to kick off on the first week of August, we would be back in training round about the third week of June um, to get six weeks of pre-season in. Players haven't had a holiday for two years, so then I might run into it if we're opened up to go on holiday. Then the players might come to me and say, "Look, we only temporarily can go on holidays middle of July. We're going to miss some chunks of the squad." Um, and I just felt that if we could kick off a little bit later, it would be a massive bonus, and you know, it gives people a little bit of a break because I know people say, "Sure, you didn't play for six months," but that that wasn't the case. At this stage last year, we were told it was a three-week lockdown. The players were still training. We didn't know if we had to go back in to train, uh, back in to finish the last seven games of the season. So whilst we weren't allowed to train together, everybody had to keep going. Um, we didn't know, you know, promoted or not, so everybody was still going. That then got called, obviously it was around about the end of June when it, we were made official, that we were getting promoted and everybody at Linfield and everybody else was in the same situation. And then we went straight into training the week later because we were told the season was kicking off at the normal stage, got interrupted put back, put back. That never stopped us training because we didn't know because we never had a clear date. We were just guessing off everything. So, yeah, pretty much the boys haven't had a break now for two years. Um, well, it'll be two years when the season ends from when we when we started the pre-season. So they needed... I just felt we needed a six-week complete rest and break from football. Yeah. Um, which could and should happen now if we kick off next year on the 28th of August. Seems set to be the case, and uh, definitely the reasons you've outlined there—they're very sensible. You know, we have to remember these are human beings as much as you know. You're all figures of entertainment for the rest of us. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll—I'll I'll let everybody else decide what kind of entertainment we provide, uh, <laughs> comedy value or actually, if they like us playing football. But yeah, it, look, it is, and the boys—you know—we're never going to complain because it's been absolutely super that we've been out to be able to play, and I know. Hundreds and thousands and millions of people have loved to be in our situation, but you know it's getting to a stage now where the boys are physically and mentally drained. Um, I know one of my players told me that he actually fell to sleep at his desk on Wednesday last week, um, just that exhausted from playing the game the previous night. Whatever time he got home, got to sleep up, and when he went to work, he actually fell to sleep at work. So it just get, <laughs> the boys because they happen to you know. Basically, play, rest a day, train a day, recover, play. You know, it's getting tough. And I'm not crying it in. I'm certainly not crying it in at all. What I'm saying is, they, 
I think they deserve a wee break, a wee break in the summer, um, without me hassling them to get their fitness work up and and runs. I would love to just tell them, listen, guys, there's four weeks, do, do nothing, and then come back to me, um, two weeks prep, and then we'll get going for pre-season then. Yeah, very good. Last question I want to ask you, just on, obviously, there's been so much in the last week in England and indeed across Europe with the European Super League debate and uh, the idea that was sort of born out of nowhere and died very quickly after nearly everybody went ballistic at it. I'm just wondering, do you think there is a lesson to be learned for football in Northern Ireland about how that was approached or is there anything we can capitalise from what's happened there? I think it's a completely different scenario, isn't it? Um, you know, I'm guessing you're thinking now from the fans up uh-huh. in terms of playing all over Europe. I think it's a wee bit different asking somebody to drive two hours to Dublin than it is to get on a flight to Milan or Madrid. I don't know. Am I wrong? No, there's there's definitely a difference, mind you, that they would have the I get it. the infrastructure to allow it to happen, I suppose, as well. The finances to allow it to happen quicker. Yeah. You know, a flight to Milan's not going to cost Manchester United too much money. No, in terms of the club, it's not. But the fans travelling, it's going to cost. Yeah. You know, do I think we should play an all-iron league? I suppose you're asking. I don't know the answer to that. It would need everybody. Full, it would need to be a full-time league. And both. So every club in in Northern Ireland have to be full time. You can't you couldn't do that part time. How do you get people to travel all that way, you know, go to work and stuff like that. So there's so many questions that would need to be answered. So is there any parallels with the European Super League? I suppose you're gonna get people that say no, they don't want to do it. Um I think there would be less people saying no in terms of, you know, clubs and fans here than what there was because it was complete outrage, wasn't it? I don't oh, yeah. think it would be a hundred percent outrage for the All-Ireland League as it was the European Super League but I can see parallels where people's arguments might be the same you know in terms of travelling or whatever but I think what people have to realise is because Northern Ireland is such a small place you know two or three hours in the car isn't actually that bad it's just not what you're used to is my point you know what I mean when because people like people think a trip like I said earlier a trip to Coleraine is like a day trip not really like if if you lived in England or, you know, any of the European countries, that's a local derby. Yeah. Oh, I, we've had that yeah. conversation before. Yeah. <laughs> and and, and I, I agree with you on that in terms of the, the distance. Uh, there's plenty of people it, that, that have sort of said to me, sorry, you're going to have to make a journey to X, Y, or Z today. And I'm like, oh, I'll be there in an hour. So that's, that's really not yeah. a problem. <laughs> Let's not worry about that. But, you know, I understand it, you know, and, and look, basically, right, in life, you can always make reasons or excuses for not doing something, you know, but let's see why we can do it is, is my, I suppose, attitude on things. Okay, right, I get it. You're going to have to drive three hours or four hours or whatever, right? Okay, that's a negative. How can we turn that into a positive? And let's look at the positive reasons behind it. Would it be better? Would it, you know what I mean? So, yeah, that's, but it, we need to know these things. We can't guess. There's no point in guessing. Is it going to work or isn't it? Because I don't know. It's a bit, it's a bit Jerry Maguire here, isn't it? It's show me the money. If someone can show put it, the money is right. Yeah. If, you, if you can put the money in place to make it work, then people will be interested to at least listen to the conversation. Whereas if it's all pie in the sky, I'm guessing people probably are fed up with the debate. Yeah, uh, yeah. Until I know hard facts, then I can't make, you know, a valued judgment on it. I suppose because I don't know. So yeah. We've, I've probably given you five minutes there where there's no answer in Because I don't know the answer because I don't know the questions yet. Or I don't know the proposals. Um, I do think the European Super League thing was a silly thing. I, I didn't agree with it. Um, it was never going to work in my eyes. But there's probably more reasons. And people cleverer than me and you who know that them reasons are and why the clubs went for it. You know, I've said it, obviously not said it to you. I've said it to other people and your friends of mine. Can I see an IPL-style football tournament in the next 10 years? Yes, I can. Franchised football. I can see it happening. And be it a month-long tournament or something, and they'll have people go in there, and then it might be these 12 clubs, their owners, they might. Merseyside Reds, you know, Manchester Titans, or whatever you want to call <laughs> these things, and they'll play in a separate tournament. I can see it happening. I honestly can, because eventually... We all know the way that's going. There's that much money in football. Is 
spoke to somebody in England the other day and they said to me, do you think if you're off half a million pound a week, you're going to turn it down because you can't go and play for England in the summer? These clubs will say, the players will say, I'll take the half a million and do you know what? Do you think FIFA are going to play a World Cup without Lionel Messi or Cristiano Ronaldo in it? Or Kylian Mbappe or whoever is the superstar of the day? Not a hope. They'll be playing. They'll not be able to ban them because there'll be no TV rights. If these clubs went and played, do you think BT or whoever it is that sponsored the Champions League will pull out and say, hey, do you know what? I know everybody hates it, but we'll cover them matches instead because they're the games that won. And I think that was part of their plan because they'll get more money from TV. Now these bigger clubs, they'll start negotiating their own TV deals down the line. It'll be, and that's the way it'll work. It'll and that's the way it works in Spain currently. It'll be a fascinating landscape to see what way football does develop. The key word that the likes of Agnelli at Juventus and Florentino Perez at uh, Real Madrid, they keep saying it's suspended, which tells yeah. you they haven't given up on it. And This um, is what I'm saying. I think they might do some kind of tournament. You know, I, I'm not saying... I'm not privy. I don't know. I'm, I'm only... Porta down to join European Super League. <laughs> Could you, <laughs> you imagine that the Porta down rights are... You know, they would maybe come up with this. Have to think of some different name, not using that one. I just think they might do something, you know, and it might be a kind of summer thing because obviously we have the World Cup and the European mm-hmm. Championships every two years, and maybe do this other tournament for a club or a franchise thing because it's obviously like, isn't it? They want to do it, you know. I don't know. It's it's only my thing. So if it happens in the next ten years, we can replay this and say, yeah, "This fella did know what he was talking about." <laughs> and if it doesn't happen, they'll just think that I'm crazy as they think anyway. <laughs> revolutionary, revolutionary. Maybe they need to get you on the phone and think about, you know, a, a better way of implementing things. Because whether anybody likes the idea or dislikes the idea, I think we can all agree how they went about it was an absolute oh, dog's dinner. I don't. Yeah, I don't know. Like I say, there must have been some thought in it. And, and some thought that it's going to work because you don't come out that they, they were pretty far down the line. Nobody gets that far down the line um, without knowing the ins and outs, but they just misread the room, didn't they? They didn't. Massively. Massively. Because this was, you know, we all, we're both involved in football and we hear things and, and we generally hear things kind of quietly, I suppose, before it actually happens. You know, only a couple of hours, this is going to be leaked. But this was kind of a bombshell to everybody last Sunday afternoon. Yeah, you know the whispers of it only came out on Sunday. It wasn't like it had been building up to something over the last fortnight or something. I, like I hadn't heard about it, and I generally hear things quite quickly. Well, it was surreal. Yeah. It was surreal watching Manchester United against Burnley. I mean, even Gary Neville said on yeah. commentary he can't he can't concentrate on his job because this has just you know come out of nowhere. And well, I think that was know, everybody. I was watching the football, and then it was a case of constantly looking at the phone. You know, going, what's happening here? Do you know what I mean? So you kind yeah. of like refreshing in news feeds and like typing things in on Google and whatever to see, like, what, what is this? What's happening? You know, and it and it was just dominating um, everywhere. So, yeah, it's strange, but it's put to bed now. But I'm sure somebody's made a few quid off it in the last week. Oh, there's the one thing you can guarantee in football. A few people maybe lost a few quid as well. Maybe Mr. Levy was hoping for some of that money before uh, getting rid of Mr. Mourinho. But uh, that's that's, uh, sheer speculation on my part. For now, Matthew, good to talk to you as always. Thanks very much for coming on to The Score. Super, thank you. Cheers. The Score with Michael Clark. Well, we are almost at the end of the programme, but not before we have a chat with this man. He is back with his Danskevang Premiership predictions, Colin Hopkins. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Michael. How are you? I'm doing very well, thank you. How's your week been? You keeping okay? Yeah, but busy. Lovely seeing the sunshine back out again and kids back playing football. Things are starting to return to normal. I hope you do not feel good in, in there sort of a situation like that. Yeah, 100%. It makes all the difference. It's great to see people out getting to enjoy uh, their sport again. And uh, let's hope there's more restrictions eased in the not-too-distant future, eh? as long as things continue in the way that they are. Uh, five of the games this weekend take place on Saturday, but one happens tonight. Friday night's 7.30 kickoff at the Oval is Glentoran against Larne. Your thoughts on this one? Yeah, it looks like it could be a good game. It sounds like a good selection for a TV match. Glentoran obviously 
flying high at the moment. They've now found their way into second place after labouring in ninth or eighth for so long, and all of a sudden they've found the accelerator and moved themselves right into second position in the league. And to be honest, I think very, very hard to shift from that second position. Don't think there's enough games left for them probably to catch Linford on this occasion, but prefer to play them for doing so well and find themselves at front of the table. Obviously, a great win during the week against Cliftonville. You know, it was a big, big game for them. And they came out on top of that one there. So the flying at the moment, you know, they're unbeaten on in nine games and they've scored in their last 11. So, well, but the light, you know, they think they're going. But Iron, as we've talked about before, bit of an up and down season started out so well and then seemed to lose its way a little bit. And yeah, they could win last weekend against more than 0.5-0, but disappointing defeat, you know, against Porter down that week sort of brought them back down there a little bit. But, uh, so they're guaranteed now top six, but I think overall, might have been had sort of higher expectations of it, so it's going to be a tough game at the overhaul on Friday night. It is, and the thing about Lauren is, as much as people want to write them off, they're five points behind Glentorn going into that game. Win that, then it's obviously two points, and they have to play each other again after the split. So, um, Lauren in losing against Portadown obviously haven't helped their cause in their fight for an automatic European spot, but it's not out of their reach yet. But it'll be certainly further from them should they lose. Uh, in this game against Glen Torren. With that being said, who are you giving the three points to, or are you going down the middle? Yeah, I'm not going down the middle. I'm going to go for a home win on this one. I think Glen Torren just have the real bit between their teeth. I think they'll continue on with a decent win against Lauren Fred. Okay, backing a home win there. Uh, of the action on Saturday, uh, four of the games are three o'clock kickoffs. We'll talk about them before we talk about the uh, Glenavon Linfield game, which is half five. So uh, let's look at Coleraine then, shall we? It's the game I'm going to be at. Um, Ballymena United, Coleraine, a derby game. What's not to love? Exactly. Well, I'm supposed Ballymena will not put up themselves. I've missed out in the top half finish due to not having won any of their last four games, which is a bit disappointing because they really were giving it every shot that they could make that top half, but unfortunately not going to be the case. And that defeat again at New York a few weeks ago when they lost to has, has proved to be a telling tale in terms of Top six and that's when this was planned out before this, but so forth. That said, you know, they've only had, you know, one defeat at home since Korean last one. They're back in February, so their home form is pretty good. So, not certainly not been an easy game for Korea. So in terms of Korea, they've had the puppers a little bit at the wrong time. I think they've only had one win in the last five. Once again, so instead of challenging for title honours, are now sort of battling it out for second place in terms of the league. So, I think the title is more or less going for, for Korea now, effectively. But really need to win those two games against Glentorn as we both know that they both got they got two draws out which probably wasn't satisfactory probably for either side but certainly not for Coley in that case so but uh, yeah it should be a tight interesting game so never an easy place to go and especially in a derby game despite the fact that yeah, a crowd there to cheer the home side on it's always a, a tough place to get a result at So you are backing who? I am backing down the middle on this one I'm going to for, I'm actually going to go for two draws this week and this is one of them so I'll let you work out the other one, but that's the first of the two. <laughs> spoiler, spoiler. Um, Cliftonville, let's talk about them next. At Solitude, they play host to Carrick Rangers on Saturday. Yeah, uh, Cliftonville, despite the fact that they're disappointed to defeat midweek, they are guaranteed top six. I'm not sure they'll be quite pleased with that. They've been doing very, very well of it on you know, fully deserving that top six position. Uh, they had a run of seven games without defeat until obviously the loss against Glentorn, but that's obviously been enough to get them into that top half. Um, it's only their third defeat at home all season, so once again, solitude proven a very, very difficult place to go and get results, and that's always a, a good foundation for any side if your home comes good. In terms of Carrick, well, we, Carrick just seemed to really, really struggling, as we've talked about before. No wins at seven. They've only won one game in their last 18 matches, which is, I would say, a bit worrying for Nile, but I'd say even at this stage of time, it's probably more or less cast the league to one side, and everything of a, maybe a half a decent run in the cup, and Maybe even looking further, further to make next season, see how can make maybe things to make sure that there's no repeat of this time around. So, wouldn't surprise me if he shoveled his pack, you know, the next few games to give some of the maybe up and coming young players a chance to see what they can do for teams. Yeah. There's a free hit there, isn't there, for managers potentially to do that now at this point? Um, because, and we'll come on to them because obviously they're going to play each other, but you look at, you know, Porter Down and Warren Point in the, the position that they're at, they're seven points ahead, but then with a the split, is there an opportunity for Carrick to catch them up? Or do they need to? Can Could this just be a perfect time to, uh, I guess, take those risks and give other players a chance? And like that's for managers to decide at the end of the day. But uh, the opportunity is there should anyone want to take it, isn't there? You know, if you say, well, if we don't think we can get seventh, um, is there as much pressure on us without there being relegation to, to finish as high up? Or do we 
just start to experiment a bit in these games. The, the only time you'll be able to. That's exactly right. I think the bottom four is nailed on now. And that the gap's not going to be changed between the bottom four and the, the sides above them, let's be honest about it. So, you know, this is the perfect time to sort of put blood in some new blood, especially those players who've been maybe just in around the fringe, maybe to give them a run out for a few games and see exactly how the, the, the fence factor whenever they're actually in, in the big sides, to be honest. So, they're not going to use it now, they'll never use it, but uh, it's certainly a chance for Nile to do that the character, there's no doubt about it, over the next few games. You said you were thinking there'd be two draws this weekend. I get the feeling this isn't one of them. You get the feeling correct, Mr. Clark. <laughs> no, I can't see anything but a cliff below one in this one. I think Carrick, unfortunately, uh, just seemed to have run out of steam completely at the moment. And cliff below will want to keep things going. Certainly, had the Irish Cup to keep the head of steam going. And uh, I fully expect a home run at Solitude come the weekend. Bottom of the bottom half against bottom of the top half sees Dungannon versus Crusaders at Stangmore. Um, another one of the three o'clock games. Will Dean Shields get one over Stephen Baxter, or have Crusaders turned a bit of a corner uh, with uh, a decent run? I think you can say certainly a resounding win last time out. Yeah, well, certainly a six-one win was one of the, the scores I did not forecast. Let's be honest, last week who did? You know, expecting them to be clean up six-one, especially when they went to go behind them. Um, so a fantastic, you know, win for Crusaders. They, they know a win then against Duncan will guarantee them space in the top top half. So they'll they'll have everything to play for. Duncan, as we've mentioned, they're being bottom of the table. Maybe don't have enough lot to play for. That said, the last the last game they won, obviously, you know, at home, I think was against Crusaders and. Um, that's 18 games ago, apparently, since they got their, their last win. So, but they'll, they'll go into the game. They're always hard to beat at Stangmore, as we both know, to be honest. Um, but they, they really are struggling to score goals. I think they've only scored one of the last six. I think Callum McGinty scored from their midweek, and I think it's the only goal in their last six games. So, so there's not much to cheer here than Gannis was supported at the moment, unfortunately. Um, you know, in terms of points or indeed in terms of even goals themselves. So, it's been a tough season. They'll, they'll be glad to put this one to bed and move on to next year, I suspect. Yeah, um, Crusaders uh, won't want to drop any points there because Glenavon play later on and there's only one point between those two teams. So do uh, you think Crusaders will get the job done? I think they will, to be honest. I think they're, they're, they're first restored a bit of confidence after going through a bit of a rough patch. They seem to have found their way again. And as, as I say, because they know that's how important this game is, I think they will go and get the result. It's time over the weekend. We heard from one half of this equation earlier on in the programme with Matthew Tipton being on just before you joined us, Colin, but um, his team in ninth take on the team level on points with them, Warren Point, at Milltown. Who will be the happier manager at full-time? Will Barry Gray be smiling? Will he have picked up a win? Or uh, will Matthew Tipton's side be the team to do it? Well, certainly Portadown have definitely seems to have settled in the Premiership now. They've always sort of threatened it to settle, but I think his last few weeks we've sort of seen them Usually a better performance and fantastic result against Lauren you know, during the week there has proved that they are obviously a side that now can can match the best of them in terms of the Premiership. Warren Point, even though they're at home, are really, really struggling at the moment. I mean, they're now in the bottom three and, uh, you know, when we were talking not not so long ago, they were sort of sitting sick for seven. They didn't raise me confident, but all of a sudden here we are in the bottom three. Um, the, the wins in their last 12. Um over the last six games of the worst they side, which is most out of form, if that makes sense. That's a good point. Yes, they'll draw a bit of comfort from obviously from the Dunham game tonight. Yes, okay, we lost the game, but we're still 4 1 down with the cut back to 4 3. So there'll, there'll be a few crumbs of comfort from that. But uh, as I say, they really are struggling in terms, in terms of matches. They haven't won in any of their, their last sort of eight home games. So Milton is certainly not the, the place that we all feared sort of this time last season. So it's going to be a Difficult match, but I have a funny feeling this one here. I'm going to go for my second row. Mm, I had a hunch this might have been the <laughs> one that you went that way with. Um, then to the half-five game at Mournview Park. If Crusaders were to drop points against Dungannon, this would then become must-win for Glenavon, and it would make it even more interesting a competition. Um, to be totally honest, whether Crusaders will give them that opportunity or not, but uh, either way, Glenavon will want to try and uh, give themselves every chance of finishing in that seventh position. So uh, it's still not a, a throwaway match for them. Um, they will be underdogs, of course, against Linfield, who are now only three wins away from keeping their hands on the Gibson Cup and, and retaining the trophy. Um, the Blues are the visitors against the Lurgan Blues. You said there would be two draws this week. You've already told us of two draws. So who wins this? 
hopefully Finland and Field will continue on their winning ways. I mean, from a match perspective, Glenavon must be kicking themselves, you know, after a heavy defeat at CB last week, which has obviously put the, the gauntlet into Crusaders' hands in order to, to finish off in the top six. It's out of Glenavon's hands now. They really are having results elsewhere, but I have a funny feeling on this occasion. Then Field now can see the, the finishing line, and like any good thoroughbred will no doubt put a gallop on to get over that finishing line as quick as they possibly can. So, uh, Really can't say anything but in the way when in terms of this one. Oh. But I'm going to temper that a little bit, Michael. I'm going to forecast a little bit ahead of ourselves by saying Linfield will go on to win the league. However, I suspect Glentoran will beat them in the Irish Cup final. How's that for a forecast? Oh, wow. He's even given us the Irish <laughs> Cup final. Well, I'll make a note of that now. Uh, on the Irish Cup, seamless transition. Ten Irish <laughs> Cup games uh, taking place um, in uh, the coming days. Uh, seven of them. Happening on Tuesday, Ballymena United, Portadown, Carrick Rangers, Belfast, Celtic, Cliftonville, Port Stewart, Corain Crusaders, Glenavon, Dungannon, Swift, Linfield, Annie United, Warren Point Town, Ballyclare Comrades. That's all the Tuesday action. The three games happening uh, next Saturday: Ballinamallard United against Dergview, Knock Breda against Newington, and Lockall against Bambridge Town. We'll be talking more about those games, obviously reflecting on seven results and looking to the other three games on next week's show. The teams that have got walkovers into round two already, we know. Dollingstown, Glentoran, St. James's Swifts, PSNI, Larne, and Bangor. That is, of course, as six teams have withdrawn from the competition, namely Ards Dundella, the Welders, Institute, Newry City, and Queen's University. Hope you kept track of all of that. Uh, Colin Hopkins, thank you for joining us on the programme. Thanks for having me back. We'll uh, be talking to you again next week here on The Score. But for now, from Colin and myself, our time is up. All that remains to be said is enjoy your weekend of sport. Bye-bye.